Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the dads, not always on wrestling, here on the Jeff Meacham Network. I am, of course, the West Coast Professor Jeff Meacham. Joining me to my left, as he do, the renegade J.J. Williams. And yes, we're actually wearing our work clothes. <gasps> they finally came in the mail. Christmas came early at the Jeff Meacham Network. That's right. It is December. Available at teespring.com slash stores slash Jeff Meacham Network. No more hype just in time for Christmas. That's right. If you buy it now, I'll get there for Christmas. If you buy two, they'll both get there. That's right. One of them goes to Europe first. Choices. That's right. That's right. One of them go to Europe first to get to Nevada, but you know, that's okay. Um, that's right. Now, now that we've got the shameless plug in. That's right. Shameless plug. Buy the shirt. Um, okay. uh, so. Right here on Dad's Arm Wrestling. Cheap pop. Only appropriate to do a McFoley promo during December, right? Only appropriate to do that then. And as you can tell, I am in the festive holiday spirit with my Santa hat. That's right. I am not yet. But Christmas movies are coming, and I will have my hat on for that. So don't worry about that. And because I'm in such a just a non-grinchy spirit this December, surprisingly enough, uh, I decided we're going to do a bonus episode on of the dads and wrestling. And it's going to be Christmas-themed because on... I can't say I'm about to put up the 24th or the 23rd. I haven't decided where I'm going to put it up because I kind of want to keep both days, the 24th and 25th, available for y'all to be you know, with your families and like have family time, God forbid. So one of those two days, either 23rd or 24th, our top 10 Christmas songs. And if you think our wrestling themes show was controversial, Christmas songs could be more interesting. Keep that in mind also. So, But we are here because it is December in the world of wrestling. That means one thing if you're an old-school fan like me and a quasi-old-school fan like Mr. Williams, Starcade. Yeah. And I know you're going to say, well, wait a minute, Jeff, Starcade was on Thanksgiving. Yeah, Vince doesn't screw that up, so no, not anymore. Um, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, um, Vince decided to you know run the Survivor Series, and we, and we covered Survivor Series last month very, very, uh, very boisterously. We enjoyed that. We enjoyed covering Starcade. We enjoyed covering the Disney movies. Uh, Two weeks ago, and uh, again, you know, I, f- I still feel bad because I missed Mickey's birthday on the day of. I had to do it the next day. I felt so bad, but uh, you know, it is what it is, as we say on this show and on the network in general. So what we're doing today on the Dads Always in Wrestling is a wrestling show, and it's our top 10 Starcade matches. Now, Starcade I'm talking about ran from 1983 to 2000, not that abortion the WWE Network ran, you know, for two years, and the house show they ran the first year they brought it back, which... They ran Should have been a pay-per-view. Non-televised in Greensboro at the Coliseum with the flare in the main event. Yeah. So there you go. But we're here to cover the good stuff. And yeah, you know, honestly, Starcade, there was some bad. You know, I'm not gonna like last two years. Um, but you know, it was still as as with any pay-per-view. Right, of course, of course. Of there's course. there's the highlights and there's the filler. Exactly, and and yeah. surprisingly, you know, Starcade for being essentially at the time the WrestleMania before there was WrestleMania, the Super exactly. Bowl of professional professional wrestling. Yes, definitely. Quite a few high spots. <clears throat> We're gonna get into those. It did, and you know, as we do on the wrestling shows. I am going to defer to my left and let the renegade himself give off his top 10. 
and honorable mentions along the way if he so chooses, or I'll do my own mentions first, however it works, and then we'll come back to me. So, Mr. Williams, take it away, sir. Well, you know me. I usually like to hold off on the honorable mentions until you've given your list. That way I can cross off any that you may have touched on. <clears throat> my number 10 is really a 10A and a 10B of sorts. Oh, here we go. The 10A 10B stuff again. Uh, when, when I say it, you'll understand why. Okay. From 1998. Ah. Kidman versus Juventud versus Rey Mysterio for the Cruiserweight title. And Kidman versus Eddie for the Cruiserweight title. Okay. There you go. You know, Kidman and Ray always had great matches. Throw Hoovy in the mix, pre-juice, and this this was just a stellar Cruiserweight <sighs> encounter. Yes. The LWO represented one willingly yes. by Hoovy, one unwillingly by Mysterio. Both trying to get the strap from Kidman. Neither one can do it. Eddie comes out post-match, just rips Hoovy and Ray apart. Right. Calling them morons. Calling Kidman a cream puff. To the point where Kidman's like, put up or shut up, bro. Right. I'll throw my title down on the line again right now if you're willing to wrestle. Exactly. And Eddie trying to be the smarmy heel. He's like, well, let me go in the back. Let me change into my ring gear. I'm not even mentally prepared for a match. It's like, nah, bro. Put up or shut up. Yep. Eddie ends up challenging for the match. You know, a good 10, 12-minute encounter with Eddie in his street clothes. Still a five-star classic. Uh Yes. A lot of people sleep on Kidman because of his WWE run. Man, go back and watch some of these old WCW matches and wake the fuck up when it comes to Billy Kidman. Uh, yeah, for real. Number nine. I'm going to take it back to 1992. Ooh. Shane Douglas and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat oh. versus Barry Windham and Brian Pillman. Jeez. For the Unified Tag Team Championship. Goodness gracious me. I'm so proud of you for knowing that one. You know what, dude? Like I said, I may not be the West Coast professor. Well, I may not have been watching back then. Right. But when it comes to these shows, I do my due diligence and I do my homework. Which I appreciate greatly. And Shane Douglas and Steamboat. Steamboat, again, I I can't think of a bad steamboat match. I know. Shane Douglas pre-franchise. Yes. Wyndham is Wyndham. He's always gonna give a stellar performance. More often than not, absolutely. Yep. And Brian Pillman, you know, pre-Hollywood Blondes, pre-loose cannon, fly in Brian, if you will. If you will. Just a fantastic tag team encounter. Absolutely. Number eight is one that really surprised me. From 1989, the Steiner Brothers versus Doom. Oh, yes. With Woman and Michael Myers. For those of you that don't get the joke, Nitron play is Tyler Maine who played Michael Myers in the Rob Zombie reboots. 
I understand the reference. We've got a horror movie wrestling connection there. Gotta love it. During Christmas time. Yeah. But, you know, Doom, okay. Clearly, I know Ron Simmons. Right. Farouk. We've met Ron Simmons, for crying out loud. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Never seen a whole lot of Butch Reed. Never seen a whole lot of Doom. And this was back where they were still wearing their freaking masks. Right. Which just... Yeah. You know, yeah. If you thought Farouk with the whole, like, Spartan gear... Blue, mind you. Blue Spartan gear. Was bad. Yeah. Look at him in the bondage masks. Yeah. But be that as it may, you got that. And then the Steiners, okay. I have never been a big Papa Pump fan. But when you get into Scotty Steiner mm -hmm. and the early shit that he did with Ricky. You can't deny the man had talent. It's just a damn shame that he let the roids take over his body. Yeah, it was argued earlier this year, or, or I think it was last month on the on my on uh, the network, maybe in October. I can't remember how far back it went, but I think it may have been Greg. I don't remember, but somebody argued that WWF era, like '93 era, Scott Steiner should have had the rocket strap to his ass then. And it's hard to argue because Scotty, but before Scotty lost his damn mind, he was one of the best wrestlers on the planet. And he he had the he's big, you know. I, I was talking about um, when we watched um, Adam Pierce versus who is now Corey Graves uh, a couple weeks back on on uh, Wrestling Rewind. Um, the fact is, Adam's always been this big solid dude. You don't see it. Even when he's when he was NWA champion, he doesn't come off as a big dude because you know he figured he feed with Cole Cabana. Cole Cabana is this big, you know. But Scotty, even even as a big, you know, hulking guy, he could still wrestle anybody, you know, wrestle his way out of a, out of a paper bag, you know, easily. Yeah. And people tend to shit on him now because of his reputation. But Scotty Steiner, like you said, pre Papa Pumps, got even pre. When he first turned and was still wearing the dark hair, you know, even before that, before that Scott Steiner, he could have easily been a great babyface champion. And yeah. you see how good he is in this match because there's no doubting Simmons' ability at all as a wrestler or butchery for that matter. And Rick, you know, Rick was who he was, but he still had the amateur credentials too. Just a great pairing of two great tag team wrestlings. Wrestlers, rather. Yeah, I can't even talk. <laughs> anyway. I, I can't remember if it was 96 or 97 when I was watching and you could kind of see what was about to transition to Papa Pump. Mm -hmm. He had the short black hair. He had the goat. He started yeah. to have more of the hulking physique. Mm -hmm. It's like, bro, what did you do to yourself? Yeah, I honestly, if you like, okay. Like go back and watch the, the signers in the WWF in like '93 when they were there, and early '94, and then they disappear from mainstream America for a couple of years. Yeah, they come back in the Nitro era. Scotty is huge, like just like overly so. So and it's bad. That's very. But bad. anyways, anyway, this was this was a damn good match. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Number seven from 1986. A steel cage match for the NWA Tag Team Championship. 
Ah, yes. The Rock and Roll Express versus the Minnesota Wrecking Crew. On my own mentions, by the way. You know, what what can you say about Arn and Ole that hasn't already been said? Good and bad. Yeah. With Ole, Ole anyway. is what Ole is. <laughs> but when you got him into that squared circle. Oh, yeah. That was a man I wouldn't want to meet in a dark alley. Yes, just keep away from the pencils. All I ask. <sighs> Goodness. And the Rock and Roll Express, just legendary, you know. Still are. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Seriously. And then like you put it in page. Yeah. It's just element upon element upon element of awesomeness. Yes. Speaking of awesomeness, no, we're not talking about the Miz. He wasn't on Starcade. Now, at least not in the era that we're talking about. My number six match. I'm going to say a naughty word. Uh-oh. Okay. From 1996. There we go. Or, excuse me, number six from 1995. Oh. Chris Benoit <gasps> versus Jushin Thunder Liger with Sonny Ono. Yes. Again. Benoit's situation is what it is. Right. We we unfortunately cannot erase what happened. We we've pretty much erased him from history as a result of what happened, but uh, we yeah. can't erase what happened. Nope. But go back, put your feelings about the man to the side, and watch this classic. The only thing that I feel that takes away from this match is Sonny Ono, because I never got into the dude. Yeah. He just irked me all kinds of ways. He's a nice guy. I love Sonny, but yeah, no. Just didn't work. You know, if we ever do our top 10 managers, I feel like he's going to be the Rob Zombie Halloween 2 when it comes to that list and just, no. Rob Zombie 2, but not, I would but not rather have Sid Vicious stab me backstage than have Sonny Ono as my manager. I'm just throwing that out there. Now, are you having Sid stab you with a, with a pair of scissors or with his broken leg bone? Either or. Okay, just throwing it out there. Okay. And we're back. Had to get it in there. It's been a while. Yeah. Halfway point for my list. And okay. we're going to go back to another classic. I think this is the first... I think this is the first list where the classics have been like a lot more spread out as opposed yeah. to the top half of the list or the bottom technically. Mm. Number five. I mentioned this man's name earlier from 1984, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat versus Tully Blanchard for the NWA Television Championship. Man, I can't get enough of Tully. Right. Like, going back and watching these old NWA, WCW things, the best thing about it is getting to see fucking the horseman work in the mid-80s, dude, with right. the stride. Getting to see Arn yeah. and Ole, getting to see Tully, getting to see Arn and Tully, getting to see Barry, getting to see Flair. Just, that's honestly the highlight for me. Yes. Some of these starcades were a chore to get through. Oh, yeah. Especially when you got from like 88 to 92 and it was like more tournament shit. Yeah. That that was kind of boring to me. But yeah. there, 
There were some highlights, like I said, the Steiners and Doom, you know. Yeah, I mean, 91, 92 were very much a disaster. I, 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 I'm not even going to front. But, you know, actually, my number four comes from 91. I'll get there in a second, though. Okay. But, you know, for, for people that became fans during the Monday Night War, some of these early 80s pay-per-views are just hard to get through. Oh, yeah. Now, I can appreciate the matches because of my years going to Gorilla and just sitting there watching the match unfold. No commentators telling the story until you bought the DVD like five months later and watched it. You're just sitting there and taking it all in in front of you. So I can appreciate that. But some of the wrestlers that were pushed back then, some of the angles, just yawn, next. Yeah, pretty much. Yep. Watch it on double speed, move it on. I didn't, but, you know, it's kind of how it felt. Number four, you talked about how 91, 92 were kind of shit shows. Right. My number four from 1991, Stunning Steve Austin and Ravishing Rick Rude versus Van Hammer and Big Josh, a.k.a. Matt Bourne, a.k.a. Joint the Clown, in the okay. Lethal Library. So, for those of you keeping track, there is a match on one of our lists that features Van Hammer and the original Doink the Clown. That's how good these two guys were and or could have been. There you go. Yeah. And it doesn't help or it doesn't hurt that they were across the street, the ring from Rick Rude and Steve Austin. Stunning Steve, yeah, exactly. Stunning Steve. Long blonde hair, stunning Steve, man. Oh, yeah. Who, this was a lethal lottery match, but both men were representing the Dangerous Alliance. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, definitely yeah. had the advantage going in oh, because yes. even though they weren't a tag team within the Alliance, they were within the same faction and knew how to work together. Yep. But yeah, dude, I was impressed as shit as Van Hammer. You know, I've seen some of Matt Bourne's stuff outside of the Doink the Clown gimmick. Right. You know, when he went to ECW and did that whole thing. Which cannot be understated how awesome that Born Again thing was. I'm just now starting to get to see that. I was like, nice. But Van Hammer impressed the shit out of me. Yep. And again, I know a lot of it is due to Rude and Austin being able to pull the good stuff out of him. Right. But that just goes to show the level that those two men are. You know, Rick doesn't get near the amount of praise from me that he deserves because I just never was a rude guy. And Austin is more known these days as the brawling Texas redneck that just gives the middle finger of defiance to authority. Go back and watch some of his old WCW stuff and watch how good of a wrestler he actually was. And then when you go back and you watch those brawling matches from 98 on, after the broken neck, basically, it just is a sad statement of what his career deteriorated into because he basically stopped doing all that wrestling stuff 
for fear of injuring his neck further. Yep. Shame. Number three from 1996. Dean Malenko versus the Ultimo Dragon with Sonny Ono. J-Crown Cruiserweight title unification match. First one we share. Malenko, for fuck's sake, dude. First of all, okay, Ultimo <laughs> Dragon walking into this match with like eight title belts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just goes to show how great he was. Yes, okay. Wrestling is scripted. I'm not going to say the F word. Right. Because that, that's the ultimate bad word on this show. Hell yeah, it is. Wrestling is scripted. Yep. Yes. But to be able to have the confidence of that many promoters to put all those straps onto one man shows how good Ultimo is. It shows how big the J Crown was that those promoters could come together and have those belts be in that tournament. Yeah. And then Dean Malenko. Another man who I swear to God does not get the praise he deserves as a worker. No, sir. For fuck's sake, people, he trained Molly Holly. Among others, but among others. probably one of his most notables. And really, honestly, was the feud that brought Chris Jericho out of his shell. Lest we forget that little nugget of information. If all you know of Dean Malenko is the road agent, the James Bond goof that WWF made him, please go rewatch this match. Pretty please. As well as, and I'll go ahead and throw this honorable mention out there right now, since we're on the subject of Malenko. The 1997 match between him and Eddie Guerrero for the Cruiserweight oh, title. More greatness. And while you're watching oh, my list. Eddie, and while you're watching him and Eddie, put on Cheating Death, Stealing Life, and watch the two out of three falls match between the two of them from ECW on their final night. Mm -hmm. Just watch those three matches, and then come back and tell me how awesome Dean Malenko was. And when you do, put on the commentary with him and Eddie actually doing the commentary with... Yeah, I know it's Todd Grisham. Bear with me. You know, can't can't be perfection. No. It's got to be that one hiccup in there somewhere. At least it's not Josh Matthews. Uh. Number two. A man who I've already mentioned twice before on this list. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Challenging Lord Stephen Regal. Ooh, yes. The WCW Television Championship in 1993. Yeah, buddy. I I think I have made it clear how much I love Regal oh, yes. throughout the years. Going back to the original Renegade Wrestling Show, the original incarnation of Dads, the reboot here the past year, if you will. William Regal, Stephen Regal, whatever you want to call him, is, in my opinion, one of the top five wrestlers, not entertainers, of all time. 
and this match just goes to show why he deserves to be held in that high of esteem. For Christ's sake, people, the match went to a time limit draw. There was no decisive winner, and people were not disappointed. These days, if a match went to a time limit draw, there'd be riots. Well, I mean, maybe, but I, I, I tend to believe if the crowd got a match like this, they wouldn't quite shit all over it. I still feel they'd be disappointed that there was no decisive winner in this day and age. They'd be calling for five more minutes. Well, well that, that, that I can grant you. For, for our decision. Maybe. But the fans were not mad. No. They they loved this match. And and so did I. It was just an amazing contest between the two men. Yes, sir. And Ricky Steamboat was basically in the twilight of his career at this point. Right. And he still put on a five-star classic with the up-and-comer. Yes. And it's funny, Regal wasn't an up-and-comer. He did in wrestling for many, many years by then, so... But not but, mainstream in the States. No, 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 no. So, so mainland-wise, the up-and-comer. That's right. Number one. Yes, sir. My top ten Starcade matches of all time. Going all the way back to the original. And a mm -hmm. match that I believe you're going to be doing on Russell Rewind. If you have not done it yet. We haven't done it yet. I know what you're talking about. Rowdy Roddy Piper versus Greg Valentine. Dog collar match. <sighs> the brutality of that match is just insane. Very. Yes. Pre- Hardcore, pre-extreme, right? Piper, pre-WWF, pre-the ultimate foil for Hulkamania. Mm -hmm. Valentine, just another underrated worker from those early to mid 80s yes, not sir. so much when he got to rhythm and blues but basically everything from this point up until that i would say valentine is very underrated when it comes to those years i agree with that that is my top 10, good sir. And now to take it back over, we're going to swing things back over to the West Coast professor, Jeff motherfucking Mitchell. And there it is. There you go. Okay. There I know go. you were waiting for it. I was waiting for it. You don't know. get them in on the shows where you intro. No. Because so. you're introing yourself. Right. So exactly. I got to figure out how I'm going to work it in there on the shows where you intro. That's it. That's it. Well, before I get underway here with the official list, I do want to go ahead and do my honorable mentions. That way you can do yours after me and we can all be all synchronized and all that happy nonsense. 
I've got a few honorable mentions because I I happen to love Starcade, and I, I'm a big WCW guy, as the contestants on Trivia Challenge will tell you. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, Flair and Dusty from '84 and '85, both both great in their own way. I think the match of the Gathering '85 was a little bit better. Um, the finish was better, we thought, uh, until the next night at TV when Flair got the belt back because of the Dusty finish. Um, but great matches, both of them. Um, you had Smoking Joe Frazier in 84 be the, uh, be the special referee in a time before he uh, was uh, Mr. T's corner man at WrestleMania. So it kind of shows how, how much they cross-pollinated back then. You figure Ricky Steamboat on how many matches in your list, and he was at the first WrestleMania in the first arcade. So there you go. <laughs> Crazy. Um, the Rock- I, I, I mentioned the Rock and Roll Express, the Andersons from 86. Just, jeez. These four guys, you know, again, I shouldn't only myself. I did earlier, probably shouldn't, but at their core, they were awesome. The the two of them, they were just, uh, Arnold, they were a great team. And, you know, Arn had to fill some pretty hefty shoes filling in for Gene, and he did great. And Ole was still great then. Um, Surprisingly enough, Lex Luger's on my list from 88 against Ric Flair. Um, the, the, The match they had. At the end of the, I mean, they went all over the territory in '88, man. Flair. I mean, once Luger turned babyface at the start of '88 or late '87, he was he was the guy, and he was gonna be the guy, or so the office wanted. And Flair's like, no, I promise it to this guy, Sting. So you know, but Luger got shot after shot. This match of Starcade was very well done by both men. I think Lex probably looked the best he's ever looked as the challenger in this match, and. For Luger player matches, that same thing because they actually had pretty decent stuff the two of them together. Yeah. Um. All right. Those did Luger and Sting. Very much so. I mean, Luger and Sting at Super Brawl. Granted, Lex on his way out, so it wasn't the prettiest of uh, finishes or the prettiest of matches, but it, it told a great story. And the build up to it was the key to that the, that uh, encounter at Super Brawl too. Um. You mentioned Kidman, Hoovy, and Ray at Starcade 98. That's all my honorable mentions. Again, three of the best cruiserweights at the time. Dare say the three best, maybe. And also uh, guys that were in their prime. And, you know, you mentioned Hoovy wasn't quite the juice yet. Hoovy hadn't lost his damn mind yet. So that's always a good thing. Um, okay. Please don't hate me, y'all. Please don't be surprised, y'all. Goldberg versus Kevin Nash is all my honorable mentions. It not definitely the, deserves to be mentioned. Yeah, not for the match quality, but you know, it it was a monumental moment in the history of the business. If you really, with, without this match, does the streak end? Does the entire company fall apart? Don't know. But in the moment, these two guys were. I'm not going to compare Hogan and Andre because that's just insulting as hell. But. It was a clash of the titans. It was the top guy still active in the NWO against WCW's juggernaut. You, you, you can't ask for a bigger finish at Starcade than the top guy in the NWO versus the top guy in WCW. And it was a it was a pivotal moment in the history of WCW. So in and of itself, that's why it's we, we talked a little bit off camera. We'll go ahead and talk a little bit on camera about this. But in my personal opinion, this match is what was the nail in the coffin of WCW. Yes. Because Kevin Nash beating the streak, and then the following night on Nitro was the finger poke of doom, right, which, which basically right, made yeah. 
which basically made Goldberg's entire title run meaningless. So not only have you ended the streak, but now the belt is on the same guy that Goldberg defeated and his entire run has been for nothing. Yeah, I I I have maintained for 20 years that if they'd done this still, and if they'd still done it exactly the way they did it before, but they took out the 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 dead weight of the NWO black and white, and if Scott Steiner, Scott Hall, and Lex Luger stay healthy and Hogan totally different picture because according to Kevin Nash on the legends of wrestling documentary, which is the complete crock of shit. And I'll tell you why in a minute, um, Goldberg did it to himself by getting injured and not being able to have the machine fed. Okay. First of all, Kevin reality check, brother um, Goldberg, you lost, you beat Goldberg in Starkey 98. He didn't take himself out of action until after Starkey 99. So it wasn't Bill that derailed the NWO's uh, reunion and, and into the elite. It was your boy, Scott Hall, and Scott Steiner, and Hulk, and Lex all getting hurt within a few weeks of each other. If you don't have four of the top guys in the so-called elite, you're, you're kind of screwed. <laughs> it's just the way it is. And without those four guys, you don't have those four, Kevin, and Bagwell to feed the babyface machine for six months and get the belt back on Goldberg. I don't know at a pay per view. I don't know in July, maybe. I don't know Dash the Beach. As opposed to you losing the world title in a tag match to Savage with Sid as his partner and Sting as yours. Yeah, that happened. And then who wants to go for the next night? Hogan. You can't write this shit. They they wrote it for us. Anyway, and, and this um, is coming from a diehard Hogan Mark. Devout Hulkamaniac and NWO for life. Okay. So but much was, so that our logos are in the vein of it. But at the end of the day, but at the end of the day, it was not I'm gonna give him credit, God help me. It was not Bill Goldberg that derailed WCW in the first half of 99. It was you with the pencil in your hand. And Bischoff letting it happen. I love you both. Very much. I love Eric Bischoff. love the podcast. And I I am one of the few that will, you know, defend Kevin Nash more often than not. But this match is only important in all my honorable mentions because of the monumental happening of it. Right? All right, numero 10, Eddie versus Dean. You mentioned it earlier. Again, talk about cruiserweights in their prime with no, with seemingly nothing in their way to stop them but their own damn selves. These guys put on a clinic. I think it was the opening match of Stark in 97, if I'm not mistaken. So. Typical Bischoff booking, you know, start start the night off with, you know, cooking with gas. You know, you got the two top cruiserweights in the company at the time battling over the the championship that Bischoff established for this very reason, for the car crash at the beginning of the show. So there you go. Just great stuff here by both guys. Um, another one that you mentioned earlier, uh, number nine, 
Ultimo Dragon D. Malenko for the 25 championships that they had together. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny. We when we were doing the trivia thing with Greg this whole time, he kept collecting titles. He he was going to call himself Ultimo Dragon if he ended up getting one or two more titles, just because he was starting to collect the hardware, right? Um, but yeah, the, the Ultimo Dragon gets looked over because of the whole botch WrestleMania 20, because of the, the spaz he did on the way down the ramp, and that's I get that that ridicule. I understand it, but if you only know the Ultimate Dragon for that, you're not using your network subscription properly, ladies and gentlemen. You're just not. Seriously. You're just not, man. Seriously, go back and watch Nitros and pay-per-views. Not Thunders, though. Nitros and pay-per-views from 96 and 97, and you tell me he's not one of the best wrestlers of that time period. I double-thought freaking dare you. The, the only Thunder I recommend watching is one from October of 2000 from the Long Beach Arena. Otherwise, you can skip Thunders. I remember my network got to keep talking about people being in crowds on my shows. What the fuck? Anyway, um, <laughs> says the guy who was ringside to start SmackDown in August of 2011. You can actually see me on the ramp if you look real hard. Anyway. Uh, I was third row for that Thunder. Nice. Yeah, I, I think I went to more shows in 2001 than I've been in my entire rest of my life. Combined, not counting Gorilla, of course, because Gorilla, we were there every month for about forty years. I felt like, um, anyway. There, my whole out there. Um, okay, so number eight is one that I feel gets looked over because there wasn't a finish. It was, it was a non-finish, but it was a hell of a bout. It was a hell of a fight. Doom versus the Horseman from nineteen ninety, the street fight for the NWA Tag Team Championships. So the Horsemen are on and Barry. Um, just, you wouldn't think on paper that four technically sound wrestlers going into a street fight would be anything worth a damn. And it's probably the, probably the best match of this night. I mean, really, you know, it's, you know, 90 was what it was with the whole fiasco with the Black Scorpion. And it, it kind of was a mess. But this match made you almost forget it was going to happen. <laughs> Because it was such a good tag title match. It was great. These four guys beat the shit out of each other and just made for what could have been something great because toward the end, the end after that pay-per-view and going to 91, they had that infamous uh, junkyard promo with uh, Arm and Barry where they were going to get back to basics, get back to business. And had the horsemen not fallen apart and Flair and Sid not left the company – who knows what's going to happen with the, with the horsemen and, you know, with how they would have evolved. Yeah. You know? But again, now I will say this, <clears throat> excuse me. I did get to see the, the Conrad podcast with Jim Hurd and talking to you know, the interview they did with him. And yes, there was a lot of bad mistakes made under Hurd's watch, but a lot of that shit gets lumped on him. That shouldn't. And a good part of it is, the flare departure and i recommend everybody go subscribe to ad free shows subscribe to conrad's channel and listen to the interview jim heard but i i feel that they could have done a lot more with what they had than they did yes but there was also a lot of want to leave and it's like i'm done with this crap they don't want to deal with it anymore and lack of caring on a lot of talent part that led to the demise of the horsemen in that particular time period and led to a lot of things that went south very quickly for WCW. This match here shows me that they had the talent to move on with or without Nate. So there you go. Um, 
Number seven is a match I'm surprised didn't get mentioned by you because of our mutual affinity for this man. But Shinjiro Atani versus Eddie Guerrero from 1995 during the uh, the the WCW Cup or whatever the hell it was called. Um, it was an honorable mention. I I figured it would be. Um, again, you know Eddie Eddie when Eddie was Eddie, right? I mean, just fresh off the ECW, fresh out of Mexico and. Japan, everything, just Eddie Guerrero being a girl, not Latino heat, not, you know, why cheating the field, just a great freaking wrestler. Now, people are going to say, oh, well, he was too vanilla back then. Yeah, you know what? You're right. Character wise, I'll agree with that. But he didn't need His it. His promo was god awful. It really was. Yeah. It's god awful. Like, yeah. Do, do me a favor and just watch the match. Skip the promo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, pr- promo bad. Promo bad. Yeah, it was. It was very reminiscent of Jericho's early WWE promos, where he, you know, he's just the plucky baby face. It's like, no, stop, stop. I'm begging you. You guys are killing me, Smalls. Um. So yeah, I'd rather listen to an hour long Ultimate Warrior montage of promos than that two minute Guerrero promo. It's so bad it made JJ say Wario instead of Warrior. That's how bad this promo was. He called him the ultimate Wario because he's so distracted by the fact of how bad this Eddie Guerrero promo was. Okay? That's how so, so, so skip it. Yeah. I'll love you for that blooper. Thank you so much for letting me have that one. Thank you. I appreciate that very much. Okay. Um I'm not being a dick. Um number six. No, you're not. No, I'm not. No, that's a lie. That's a complete lie. Um, we'll see. Number three, number six, there we go. 1989, the Iron Man final. Sting versus Ric Flair. Can you go wrong with Sting versus Flair in WCW? More yeah, unlikely. Really. Um, what the final very, you know, that honestly, I wasn't looking I get for it a, to the emotional standpoint. Right. But the match was garbage. It was. And, and yeah, remember, Flair wasn't ready to wrestle, and Sting was still I hurt. Know. So, you know, it, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, the boss says to do the boss tells you to do something, you, you suck it up. But yeah, it was, it, it was a shit, it was a shit match. No question about it. But the emotion was what it was. Yeah. But this one was huge. It was a great little 15 minute match and Sting and Flair doing Sting and Flair things. But the moments at the end, when Arn walks out and he grabs Sting by the wrist. And you're like, oh, they're going to drop Sting on his ass. Here we go. Here we go. And then Arn goes like this. And the crowd's like, what? Sting's a horseman? Like, you would never expect that. All the shit the horseman put Sting through, all the nonsense they had gone through in the previous year and a half, and now he's one of them. And then we find out, oh, well, Sting has a title shot from this Iron Man tournament. That's what the horsemen are doing. There, there you go. And when Sting refused to drop the, the title shot, they guzzled him, just completely took him out. And it would have been the, the title match at Wrestle War had Sting not blown his knee out in February. So great storytelling, great match. <clears throat> Again, I mentioned him heard being shit on too much earlier. This right here shows exactly what the company with her at the helm could do. You would never expect Sting to be a horseman. Ever, ever, ever. It was a Russo sword before Russo was even a thing, like for real. But it worked. It worked so well because just the fans were just completely incredulous. What the just happened here? 
Good stuff. Good shit, pal. Speaking of Sting, 1992 versus Big Van Vader, the King of Cable final. What's the King of Cable, Jeff? It sounds as lame as it is. Um, it's lame as it sounds. Basically, it was a tournament to celebrate the 20th anniversary of WCW and WA Jim Crockett, whatever, being on TBS. And the winner of this was the King of Cable, which was he was the king of TBS wrestling. Like, sure. Um, keep in mind, Vader's not the world champion here. Vader had lost title at Simmons in August and wouldn't regain it until the end of the year. Like, I think the 30th, if I remember right, of December. Excuse me. So this was just a match of pride, uh, uh, our tournament winning match. And Sting just showed why Sting was Sting in 1992. You know, um, I really didn't pick up much on WCW full on until Hogan made the jump. But in these early 90s uh, situations, Flair, of course, when he jumped, it was different. But Sting was the guy that literally strapped that big ugly WCW block letter logo to his back and ran down the damn field with it. He was the franchise. The whole thing in 97 was not just a storyline. Sting was the damn franchise of the company. And he shows it here. Sting was for WCW what Cena was for WWE. Right. And before Cena, of course, you know, Austin and Hogan, you know, but yeah, he was the franchise player. Very much so. And But even Austin wasn't the franchise player. For as long as Cena. Oh, no, no. You have to. I'm comparing longevity. Yes, obviously you have Hogan. Right. But then Hogan went to WCW. Right. Sting never wavered. No. Once he was under under Crockett, under contract to Crockett and Turner, he didn't leave. Just like Cena. As far as I know, he was the only guy that didn't make a jump one way or the other. Even the Undertaker did, folks. Just like Cena. Yeah, Cena. Austin came from WCW to ECW to WWF. Right. Hogan left WWF for WCW. Right. The the, the only the only guy I can compare till now. Yep. Cena's been there. Yeah, the only guy I can compare it to, and he also took a long hiatus, was uh, Rock. Because Rock's a homegrown talent, very much so. But again. You know, I don't know if we talked about this, you and I on the air or whatever it was, but John's, we're going off in the weeds here, but um, as we do, as we do, um, John Cena was compared, you know, what was mentioned by Paul Heyman on the, on the ECW special they did a few years back when they added stuff to the network. And Paul talked about, I would love to have John Cena as my, as my guy in the new ECW. And Joey Styles gave him a look like the hell you said. Think about it, Joey. You know, John Cena was champion was the was the guy for ten years. He was the guy on top for a solid decade. Hogan can't say that. Rocky can't say that. Austin can't say that. Hunter can't even say that. You know the closest thing that you have, like you just said, Jay, to a franchise player like John Cena was was Sting, because Sting was the baby faced for the most part from 1988 until 2001. And when he turned heel on that, people went, ah, get out of here. You're crazy. So, yeah. Number four. Another flair mentioned on my list. What a big surprise. 
versus Harley, 1983, the original Starcade main event. Yep. In a, show, in a show where, other than the match you mentioned from this show, which it's coming, and the match I'm mentioning right now, can I take a leave the whole rest of the show? I mean, really, it's it's very boring. It's very bland. Um, even the Briscoes against Steamboat and Youngblood is kind of just there. But these two matches... I really wanted to get into that match because I had never really seen Jerry Briscoe get down. Right. I love me some Steamboat. Right. And I'm like, I'd rather watch Briscoe versus Patterson. Yeah. At least that was entertaining. It was god-awful. Yeah. But at least it was entertaining. Yeah. I, I, I don't remember if Jay Youngblood was already sick by then or what. I don't remember the whole situation. But I do know that... I was left kind of like with that match after doing the build and watching Mid Atlantic leading up to it to get the full feel of the, the build. It didn't deliver this match, and I'll say it right now: number three, Roddy versus Greg. Both those matches delivered big time. Flair for the gold with Harley, with Kaniski as referee, with all the emotion afterwards, with all the back and forth and the build. Good grief, the build of this match is just... Here we go. I'm on Aaron's channel. It was fucking legendary. It really was. I mean, you had, you know, Flair, you know, women title 81, dominate for 82, get kind of a shit job at the end of it, uh, toward the middle of 83 with losing the title on that double pin thing. You had Slider and uh, Orton just take Flair out. You had Flair come back with the ball back. Just a whole sequence of things that just led up to this. And the payoff was worth it. These two guys sit into that cage, that horrible freaking beat down old Crockett cage, and just went to school with each other, man. And yeah. just, it, it's... I can't, I can't understate, uh, overstate it enough how good Harley Race was and how great, we all know how great Rick was. We've all heard it from everybody. Harley does not get a lot of credit except from Flair, Hunter, those guys. I'm going to sit here right now. I was freaking not even, the, I know I'm younger than you, shut up. I was not even a year old when Starcade premiered, right? But I can go back and watch that now and go, God. Damn it, he was great. My goodness. Um, Harley was, in my personal opinion, other than Rick, the original guy to make the 10 pounds of gold the standard bearer. Agree. And I'm pretty sure Adam Pierce will agree with me on that too, because it, it's it, it, it's Flair and Harley and Dusty. Dusty. Yeah, those three guys and, and Jack Briscoe. Let me not undersell Jack Briscoe whatsoever. Um, those four guys made that 10 pounds of gold, leather and gold, what it was. And there's a reason Hunter wanted that hanging outside his office in Connecticut because of those guys, honestly. But this match was just so awesome. As was the dog collar match. You mentioned earlier, I mean, just Roddy, I mean, dude, Roddy lost part of its hearing because of this match. Like, you don't hear that now. Like it's just like it's so brutal. But it's like he said. It's like Flair talking about Roddy's speech. Ah, God, draw money. Bring him back next week. It's like, dude, Roddy, you didn't need to have your ear done. Dude, we we want you to be able to hear out of both sides. They'll come back with with you having your hearing intact. It's okay, Rod. Ah, fucking bananas. 
he was crazy. And we, and you and I both know he's crazy. We met him in person. He's freaking insane. So, <laughs> but he knew how to make money. Oh, dude. Yeah. It, he understood I, the business like no other. Yeah. I still sit here and go, you know, pe people for years, and I, I'm guilty of it. Oh, Rick Rue was the greatest guy to ever be world champion. Well, he was. If you look at every time he looked, he was. Oh, yeah. Robin Dam was until you, dude. Roddy Piper is the greatest heel to never be world champion. I said what I said. And he was just as great as a face as he was as a heel. Yep. Yeah. He, if Vince had, see, like, I, I still believe, even, you know, it only would have been a month and a half. If Roddy beats Hogan at the World of the Score and the main event of WrestleMania is a rematch for the world title, you maybe have even more than you have with T and, and uh, Orndorff in there. I'm not uh, underselling Paul or T at all, but a world title grudge match at in the main event of your very first big deal, uh, I'm kind of looking back going, yeah, I would have done that if I was Vince. Because can you imagine the riot in the garden when, when Roddy beats Hulk on MTV in front of the world? Holy shit. <laughs> Number two. It's going to surprise people. It's so high up on the list, but bear with me here. Flair versus Vader from 93. Now, by all accounts and recollections from everybody, this match wasn't even supposed to be a thing. And if Sid had gotten so scissor happy, it wouldn't have been a thing. Because it would have been Sid winning the world title here instead of Ric Flair. But once the situation dictated what it was, they put Flair in there. And it becomes the craziest thing ever because Flair is the baby face, the hometown hero, coming back for one more run. The family's involved. They have a highlight video of him coming from the house, folks. Mean Gene gets in the limo at the Flair mansion with Beth with David with Reed with a very young Ashley Charlotte Flair they're all there and they do the long ride in the limo and meanwhile Vader's in the arena just beating shit up just warming up ready to kill and Flair wins the title with the worst roll up this side of Austin versus Hart ever um, let's be honest and neither one of them was crippled like Steve was, so let's just give a little bit, let's see a little bit of credit there. Um, but just it was it was a great story. And Sting coming to the back and shaking Rick's hand and Dusty coming back and Steamboat, all these baby faces that had been just terrorized by four years and you're going, Okay, what's the gag? Come on, what the foot's like, come on, come on. Because you're expecting the flare to do something flairish, you know. Respect is exactly. The and that's the thing. A lost art. Yeah. Respect. There's all about respect. And to Flair's credit, he only really turned to the dark side again because Hogan came in. So let, let, let's not look over that so much. Flair was a decent babyface champion. Yeah. For the first half of 94, he had that great match with Steamboat at Spring Stampede. Yes, the title was held up. Yes, he did regain on Saturday night. I have video. Don't mess with me. Um, the match with Barry at Slamboree. Uh, the unification match with Sting, where he had already turned heel, but still. Just a great run. And it started here at Starcade. Number one. 1985. 
I quit Steel Cage before Roman Reigns Jey Uso made it cool. You had Magnum TA and Tully fucking Blanchard. That was on my honorable mentions. It was that close. Man, I like I totally understand Shawn Michaels saying that Tully was the first cool bad guy he ever liked because damn it, man. Tully was cool, and Tully just wanted to. You wanted Tully to get in that cage and just be torn limb from freaking limb because of what he'd done to everybody involved with Magnum and Dusty, and just oh, it's just so much emotion, just yeah. so crazy. And these two, you talk about a, a, a match that you know set a standard for brutality, my. Goodness gracious me. And what's scary is it wasn't even the main event of the Greensboro portion of the arcade. The main event was the Rock and Rolls and the, and the Russians. And the Babyface still won this match. Magnum still won. Like it was, it was. Fully so told the Russians, hold my beer. <laughs> yeah, right. No. I'm going to show no. you why I deserve to be the main no. event. Totally was Shawn Michaels walking back going, follow that. Pretty much. And to the rock and rolls and the Russians' credit, they certainly did a good job. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna shit on them or anything, but you know, but they didn't make either of our lists. No, they didn't. So and, yeah, exactly. Now, how good a job did they really do? Yeah, it it it, it, it goes to show like, that both it, main like, events, from, not not to take anything away from them, no, but they didn't make either of our lists. No, and the fact that this made my number one and Flair and Dusty made my honorable mention from the same Starcade. It's hard to argue that Starcade 85 was not the best one they ever did. So, I mean, yeah, it was two arenas before Vince made it cool. To do, oh, I'll do three. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, Vince. But, uh, yeah, just, just, I, Magnum's another one of those guys where it's so sad and tragic that he got hurt because he, him beating Nate for the world title and going on a run would have been just the thing, the 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 the, the thing of stories. The the the, 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 the shit you can tell your grandkids about when they're when they old enough to watch wrestling, just amazing. And Magnum got cut short. It was so screwed up what happened to him. But this match, I think, was his defining moment. And he he and Tully just oh, strong strong motion, man. Oh, anyway. Honorable mentions. You just touched on Tully and Magnum. That was definitely on there. Right. Um, from 87, Arn and Tully versus the Road Warriors. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. For the NWA tag straps. Yes. Um, from 90, or from 88, Wyndham versus Bigelow for the U.S. title. Yes. Yes. You know, sometimes. I forget how good Bigelow really was as a big man. Oh, yeah. I see a match like this, and I'm reminded. Yeah, Bam. Like, why yeah. was he not WWF or WCW world champion? Yeah, Bamber could go, man. Um, you touched on Eddie versus Shinjiro Otani, so I'll bypass that. 96, Benoit versus Jarrett. Yeah. Yeah. Damn good match. And then Arn coming down. And you think Arn is lining with Jarrett. 
and then he drops him with that DDT. Dude, he stabbed that DDT off. He beats him to Benoit, but Jared just happens to roll in and get the arm over, and Jared picks up the victory. Yeah. Oh, great storytelling there. Yes. 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 Um, touched on Eddie Malenko earlier. The mm-hmm. the last one, another Benoit from '97 against Saturn, the Ravens' rules match. Yes, that was great too. Absolutely. Just, just some amazing stuff. And you notice I didn't have any world title matches, which just surprised me. Because, as good as some of them were, don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. You touched on the flare matches and. Hogan Steen, even, you know, as good as some of those were, I felt like the undercard really stole the show, especially once we started to get into the Hogan era mm-hmm. when Bischoff was riding the red and yellow nutsack, if you will. And these guys were just like, look, we need to get pushed. Half the time they were the curtain jerking match. Yeah. Yeah. Follow that. Exactly. I honestly, you know, I I will not give a whole lot of praise to Hogan Sting because it was it was a disaster. It really the was. Build. The build was the build I think was the best Starcade main event build ever. Ever, ever, yeah. ever. Um, but the match didn't deliver worth the shit. It, it just it was it was it was a bad match. Like Sting wasn't ready. Sting didn't show up ready to go. Um, I will say that I'm grateful that um, we don't have to worry about praising Hogan too much main events because there is such a thing as Hogan versus Bruce fucking Barber Beefcake and uh, Hogan versus Piper, which are just both. Butcher. Brother Brutai. Yeah. It's Brother Brutai. It's like, dude, you can't call him Matt, Tony. Stop. Or even freaking Dash of the Beach. It's Bruce Barber Beefcake. Like, Gene, you don't own that name. Can't. Oh, Brother Brutai, because that's better. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, Hogan Hogan needs to credit whatever tick in the back of his head. You know, a heel turn might work. It's babyface Hogan and WCW. Yeesh. Yeesh. Not a good look. And you got to remember, he only made a man in two Starcades. Uh, three. Three. And it was Brutus, Piper, and stay. And to this day, I think that Piper match should have been for the title. I it would have been too little, too late, right? But at least Piper would have gotten the belt, right? And I find but it funny. Could have lost it at Super Brawl, right? I agree, and I I do agree. I very very little with this book more often than not. But I do agree with the WWE book saying, in storyline, we nominate Roddy Piper for dumbest baby face of the year. Because according to storyline, he wrote that contract. Why wasn't a world title shot, Roddy? You beat him dead to rights. He was done. He was night night time. And then when you did get a title shot, you got beat because Savage dicked you. And then having have a following year, you got beat up really bad. Like Roddy, for all the all the good he did in WWE as a babyface and a heel. He was a complete fucking idiot in WCW. <laughs> like, <sighs> he was like the WB face of the century. And I hate to shit on Roddy like that. But yes, yeah. I love Roddy to death. 
I do too. I blame my ex for my love of Roddy. But Roddy WCW should not have been wrestling. No. Nope. He was beyond past his prime. Yes. The the Hogan match was a good one off. Right. But other than that, Piper should have just been an on camera figure. Yep. Because he Do came some out. Piper's pit segments, get the talent over, call it a day. Yep. Have him beat Hogan at Starcade, lose the belt at Super Brawl. He can finally say he's been champion. He could even lose it back to Hogan. Yeah. Or lose it to someone else in the NWO. Lose it to Mach. Or, you know, have him go into sold out and be so outnumbered he can't help but lose the title back. Because he's on, he, he's in their territory. Again, again, we're, again, we're, 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 Monday back, we're Monday morning quarterbacking 20, 30 years later, and I get that. But, you know, it's, it's, it's matches like these that Roddy had, that Rick had, that these guys had, where you go, why poop on the legacy that you built? You know, people for, for, for all, at the end of the day, people will remember always, always Flair's rivalry with Hulk, period. But because of the network and because there's old school fans like me who love the old stuff, you know, Watch that dog car match Valentine and go, man, he was crazy even then. But he was good. He was great. And he could have been more. Very had nice. they pulled it in either company. It just pulled the damn trigger. But that's for another time and another topic and another show. And I feel that we need to continue on in December, as I mentioned at the top of the show. In Let's see, it'll be the 18th then. So we'll have our top 10 Christmas movies, which I'm looking yes. forward to you guys seeing because I enjoyed doing that show thoroughly. I enjoyed the hell out of it. And then on Christmas Eve, or maybe the day before, depending on which which wild hair I get up my ass to do. Um, I vote Christmas Eve. Well, I, I, I only say maybe not because our whole point of not doing it Christmas Day was give people time with their families. Christmas Eve is my time with my whole family because the boy is going elsewhere for Christmas Day. So I'm I'm just trying to see where I want to because honestly if I do a show Christmas Eve I'm gonna have to like be I'm have to keep an eye on it because that's just how I am. So I'm trying to decide if I want to actually take the day off and be a good little soldier or not. I don't know yet, but we'll see. Either way, that's coming up at the end of the month. You've got the Christmas movies in two weeks and the Christmas songs three weeks, and then we're good because the following Friday after Christmas will be January 1st, and it'll be a multi-show party because quite the celebration, quite the shindig, if you will, because I'm hoping to get everybody together, Greg and you and Mike and everybody, to celebrate the fact that I made it a year because I didn't think I would happen. <laughs> and I, I'm almost there now. I'm so happy. 
But um, in the meantime, go to here's a link for you. Here's the picture display for you. You can check out all these varieties of the Dads on Wrestling shirt right here on the Jeff Meacham Network at teespring.com slash store slash Jeff Meacham Network. No hyphens. Yay me. You can buy the black and white shirt, the, the classic black and white with a little bit of a little bit of red there. So it's, it's completely NWO style because it's black, white, and red. So, you know, I'm totally ripping them off at this point. Um, with Disney script. Because we just want to make sure that everybody pisses is pissed off by us, the WCW guys and the Disney guys. It's all good. Um, fuck the corporations. That's what I said. Um, so, but you get that variety. You got different colors. You can even get the infamous JJ Williams purple on the DOW shirt if you really want to, like my niece has. So there you go. Good stuff, pal. So check that out. We'll see you guys in two weeks right here in the Dads um, for Christmas because it's Christmas time. And we're very happy that it's Christmas time because that means the year's almost over, too. (laughs) Got this damn year. Thank you guys for watching. And we'll see you if you're on Anchor. We love you even more. Thank you for that. Anchor.fm forward slash Network. We will see you guys next time.